Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're going to begin tonight at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We're only actually going to look at two verses, and I'm going to give you a lot of information, a lot of context. But the first and most important context I'm going to give you has to do with who we are. His Life Fellowship is a New Covenant church, which is an interesting statement because there is no church apart from the New Covenant. And what we're declaring in this statement is that we see everything in regards to our existence in the context of the New Covenant. We see everything in regards to our existence in the context of the New Covenant. That means that life for us is spiritual and eternal and lived out of an intimate relationship with our God through Christ, who is our life. Now, as new creations in Christ, we operate from a different paradigm. And we've talked about this many times. We operate from a totally different paradigm than the lost man does. We have been recreated with life at the center. So we experience life from the inside out. You've seen the diagram before, but it's very important. It kind of gives you a visual. We live life from the inside out. We interpret life from the inside out. That's what's important. What we do in the body is to be a manifestation or expression of who we are in Christ. We no longer divide our lives into different compartments, one being spiritual and the other being physical. For us now, everything is spiritual. Now that's hard for some people to grasp because it's convenient for us to mark part of our life off as being just physical and temporal and part of our life off as being spiritual. But I'm going to tell you that every expression of life with a capital L is spiritual because apart from him, there is no life. We no longer define life by the body. We define it by who we are in the spirit. Jesus, when he lived life as a man on the earth, revealed that everything that is done or experienced in this flesh is a revelation of the spiritual. And since all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made in creation, of the, in the creation of the physical, so it is with the spiritual. Apart from him, you can do nothing. His life in us is our source for all things. From our union with him, everything God desires of us flows from within, from the inside out. This is why our God delights in us. We are new creations. And we, by our new creation lives, are the fulfillment of the new covenant. So he loves us. We are the object of his love. And what you see right there is kind of an illustration of how we live life now. 
No longer living from the without, receiving from the without, but living from the within. That's how God has designed us to live. The new covenant has turned law to life, flesh to spirit, nurture to nature, separation to union, religion to relationship. Obedience for us now is nurture. Weakness is now the revelation of strength. We no longer define life by the body, but by our eternal union with the Spirit of God. We're new creations. Now you might wonder where I'm going with all this, and I'll tell you, and hopefully you'll recognize it in your spirit more than you just take it in with your mind. It's very important that we come from this context when we look at what we're looking at today. We are in these bodies and in this temporal world for the purpose of embracing by faith and experiencing by obedience. Did you hear me? We are in these bodies and in this temporal world for the purpose of embracing by faith and experiencing by obedience. The fullness of our new life in Christ. We have been given through our new life in union with his spirit, the character and the nature of our God. It's no longer something we ask God to impose upon us. It's now recognizing that he has literally put his life in us and it is now part of who we are. And as we express those things, we're not just expressing Christ, we're expressing our union with Christ. So if we define our life by anything other than that union life, then we are divided. We have a duality. If I want to know someone intimately, what would be the best way for me to know them? Well, I could read everything that's been written about them. I could follow them from childhood to death. I could imitate them. I could live with them. I could participate in all that they do. And if I did all that, would I know them? No. I know about them. To know them intimately, I would have to be one with them. I would have to share their thoughts, their experiences. I would have to feel what they feel and see things from their nature and nurture. I would have to completely lose all separateness and see my life as theirs. My identity would be in them and they would be the source of my every expression. Can you see what kind of relationship God has created you for? Have you defined it any differently? Maybe in a lesser way. Maybe you see yourself as living in a duality, that part of your motivation for living is who you are in the flesh, and the other part is who you'll be when you get to heaven. I know a lot of people live that way. That's not the way he designed us to live. Nor is it the way we're going to be able to experience and know him in the way that God intended us to know him. We live this life by faith. That means that in order for us to know life, we have to believe that we have life. That's different. It's not believing God to impose life on our circumstances. It's not us believing God to inject life into our issues or into our problems or into our marriage or into our children or into anything else. It's believing that He is life and we are in Him. 
We in modern Christianity use words regarding our relationship with God without fully embracing their meaning. Y'all would agree with that? Obedience is not following orders in order to gain favor and avoiding punishment or consequences. That's not what obedience is, but that's the way it's been taught. Obedience is God teaching you how to be yourself. That's what obedience is. That's what you've been called to. To learn who you are, to live naturally, and be yourself. The problem is most of us don't know what that is or who that is. We're still... Living with the world's definition of who we are, we're still aspiring for the world's image of what we should be. And we lose heart, and we lose peace, and we lose any sense of significance when we can't achieve it. We have a life that is not vulnerable to the definitions of this world. We live in the truth of his life in union with us. If God is teaching you how to be yourself, it is the opportunity to experience and to be intimate with the very life of Christ. See, that's what this life is about. The opportunity to experience and to be intimate with the very life of Christ, with his character, with his expression. His will, His joy is yours. Now we want to know the love of God as an example. We want to know the love of God, but how can we know that love unless we express that love? It is not that we don't have it. The problem is that rather than allowing it to be the outflow of our new nature, we think we have to create it from our soul, mind, will, and emotion. And then we bestow it on those who we deem worthy. That's our worldly definition of what love does and what love is. Listen, that is not agape love. Now here's the problem. If we live out of our soul, if we describe what goes on in our soul as life, we can only create an imitation of what God intends for us to embrace. We can't create the truth because the truth is within us. It is joined to our spirit. And here's the thing that Jesus has promised. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And you think it's setting you free from all the things that the world imposes on you? No. It's setting you free from the bondage of believing that what's in that soul is life for you. That this world can take life from you. That a marriage that disease, that rebellious children, that a death can take life from you. It's allowing you to understand that you have life and you have it to the full. And this is the only way you'll live it. You'll live it experientially. It's not that you don't have it. You'll live it experientially when you recognize that you have it and by faith express it. Listen. It is not that we don't have love. The problem is that rather than allowing it to be the outflow of our new nature, we think we have to create it in our soul, and then we bestow it on others. 
That's not agape love, and we can only create an imitation out of the soul. It's worthless, and it's temporal. We are the most injured by this attempt because we have disregarded the opportunity to experience true love from the inside out. We've acted contrary to our new life and have created for ourselves broken cisterns. That's what happens. When we allow ourselves to create life as we define it in our mind, will, and emotions, we have created an image that we bow down to and worship. It's an image that we use to judge the people around us. And we've created something that can never satisfy us. Christians have images, and they seem good and godly. I want to be like brother so-and-so. I want to act like sister so-and-so. I want to give like so-and-so. I want to minister like so-and-so. I want to walk like... I want to be like Jesus. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, then allow Jesus to be Jesus in you. Imitation will rob you and injure you. We weren't created for imitation. We were created for the real thing. Out of love flows the character of God. The whole of who God is can be known through His love. That is why in 1 John, the second chapter in the fifth verse, it says, But whoever habitually keeps His word and obeys His precepts and treasures His message in its entirety, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. It is completed and has reached its maturity. By this we know for certain that we are in him. The expression of his love is our affirmation. Now that verse used to be a condemnation for me. Because I thought that I had to create the love of God and with the love of God that I created, somehow be obedient to all that God has called me to. I didn't recognize that the love of God was now part of who I am. And in order to experience who I am, I had to let Him express that love through my yielded life by faith and obedience to Him. It's different. Everything that God is, His his mercy, His compassion, His grace, everything that God is as Creator, as Almighty God, is expressed in His love, in the context of His love. That's why 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know Him, for God is love. He is the originator of love, and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. And I would suggest that that is an unfortunate translation in the the end of that verse, because it's not just an attribute of his nature. It is the fullness of his nature. So, if you don't love, which is agape, then you're not of God. And if you don't allow love to be the vehicle through which obedience is carried forth, then you're not in obedience. You see how that works? And that has to come from the Christ in you. Your union life is literally filled with the love of God. Do you see that we do not know God if we do not know His love? And we do not experience that love apart from salvation until we express that love. 
Love is the vehicle through which his life and character are experienced and expressed through us. Obedience is the activity of his love and life through us. If we examine what that looks like, it will bring us into our text for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me give you a reference that illustrates how God first demonstrated his love to us. John 3.16 For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten Son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. God's best demonstration, he best demonstrated his love for man by giving. He gave the gift of infinite worth to the worthless in order to give us new life. Now, this is the life we have been describing all through this. This is the life that has love as its source. The love of God, the gift of God, the grace of God. Now, we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul is about to address the issue of Christian stewardship. And we have two whole chapters devoted to its practice. And you will notice that the word tithe is not in either one of them. It's not there. I don't care what translation you're using, that's not there. And you know why? Because tithing is not, hear me out, tithing is not a new covenant practice. It is not a new covenant practice. It is an old covenant tax imposed upon the Jews for the support of a theocratic form of government. And it wasn't one tax of 10%. And that's where we further distorted the scripture. But in fact, it was three tithes. Three tithes. Let's see how chummy you are with that Old Testament scripture when you hear the whole of it. The first tithe went to support the Levites' salary and livelihood, and it was 10%. Then there was another 10% tithe that the Jews paid every year known as the festival tithe, and that went towards religious ceremonies and festivals. Then there was another 10% tithe collected every third year, which was a welfare tithe to support the Jewish widows, orphans, and the destitute. They also had to leave the corners of their field unharvested for the hungry and poor who would have to come. Now, this is interesting. Who would have to come and harvest their own food. Okay? There was also a temple tax, which varied, and that was for the support of the facilities. Okay? So, on average, the Jews paid about 25% on top of what the Romans took, and they took a lot. Now, you complain about our tax system. That's pretty heavy. And the interesting thing is, they didn't get any deduction for giving to the church. They just gave. So, 25% on average. There was another form of giving, which was known as the free will offering, and it's more akin to what we do today. Okay, and what that is, is just as its name suggested, it's giving as the Lord impressed you to give. All giving that was done in the Old Covenant, hear, them, hear me out here, all giving that was done in the Old Covenant was done within and through the temple to the Jewish community. Where'd it go? 
to the Jewish community. And in the new covenant, all giving is done within and through the church unto the Lord to address the needs of the church body. All giving. I didn't make it up. It's right here. In the New Testament, giving was to the body, to the body of Christ. Now, many Jews had hoped that Jesus would speak out against all this taxation, but he really did just the opposite. He upheld the Old Testament requirements. In Matthew 17, when his disciples were confronted about the two drachma tax, he has them collect it from a fish and pay it. In Matthew 22, when he is asked whether it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, he tells him to give to Caesar what is his and to God what is his. Then there is a mention of Moses' seed tax in Matthew 23. And in Luke 18, there is a reference to the tithe in the bragging of a Pharisee. All of these were referencing the taxation of Israel, not the giving of the church. There is only one reference in Hebrews where the writer recalls that Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Now you say, what kind of preacher would get up and give this kind of a message and shoot himself in the foot? Well, let me tell you something. I love you, but our provision is in the Lord. It is in the Lord. And we are encouraged to give not because of what we can get, but because of what we have. I'm not talking about temporal worth. I'm talking about His life at the center of who we are. Giving expresses that love. And how do we know and experience that life? Well, it's got to come from the inside out because I don't experience it until by obedience and faith, I allow that life to flow through me and in a yielded body, I walk in it. I manifest it. And that is the experience of it. And I will tell you, point blank, that any other experience from the outside in is a carnal one and is not achieving its purpose because everything that we are to give is to come from where? Who we are. Because God's purpose in it is not that you might give that others might receive, though that is a part of it. But God's purpose is that you might give in order that you might experience Him. Know Him. Know His heart. God is love. Everything that we do facilitates and manifests and affirms the truth of that love. So, you want to know love? You have to love. And not man's love, but agape. Unconditional love that comes from the center, the source, who is our God. You want to know the provision of the Lord, which is not the provision of man. But you want to know him as your provider. You want to know him as your security. You want to know him as the complete fullness of your life. Then you have to yield to the life you have. And allow him to show you what that is. So, what we're going to look at in these two chapters is how the Holy Spirit, through Paul, deals with the issue of Christian stewardship. 
And it has been largely misunderstood and abused by the modern church, either over or underemphasized because of all the carnal baggage that's attached to it. And I want us to see giving as God sees it and to treasure it for what it is. So we're going to step back from the man-centered religious perception and ask the Spirit of God to define and manifest the grace of giving through us as a church. That's what we're about today. This is an aspect of who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about expressing who we are, and it becomes part of what we do. Continue, Father, by your Spirit to disciple us, to grow us, to nurture us, because, Father, it's just about you. It's just about Jesus. That is the truth of this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.